1: AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today.
2: Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined by the returning Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I am good. I am looking forward to being reacquainted with the art of doing nothing. Yes, you now have two days off because the World Cup is taking a nice little break before the quarterfinals. It has been fairly hectic and nonstop stop as a tournament since the opening day November 20th. It is nice to get a little bit of a breather, but it did feel like this World Cup was just starting to, fit, to, to heat up.
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear the um the games the the matchups were starting to get let's say real now. Mm. It felt a bit more like I think not so much the first two days of the round of 16 but certainly the the second two days they were a lot more um oh there's actually real stuff at stake now and there's real quality on show now and you could feel a lot more tension I think in those um last four games and obviously now the the quarterfinal matchups as they get drawn as they get matched up and you see oh this, that'll be a good game or this will be a good game and then there's you know still one surprise or one lesser expected nation there and I think there's still a lot to look forward to.
2: I think so as well and I think the quarter final matchups are really enticing and we will get into those. Let's talk about yesterday then. So in this round of sixteen it had gone pretty much As expected, the Netherlands beat the USA, Argentina beat Australia, France beat Poland, England beat Senegal. Croatia huffed and puffed, but eventually they did beat Japan on penalties. And then Brazil beat South Korea. All of the stronger teams got got through. There was no upsets in this round. But yesterday, Carl, we finally got an upset. Though I don't know if it should really be seen as an upset because Morocco had done so well in their group topped their group, a nil-nil draw with Spain yesterday and then on penalties just when we thought that Japan had given us the worst collection of penalties possible Spain turn up Sibiri scores Sarabia who'd been brought on just to take a penalty, misses Zayic scores, Soler misses Benone misses, Busquets misses And then Ashraf Hakimi steps up and decides to show the world he has the biggest set of balls (laughs) known to mankind. A little Penenka chip down the middle. Morocco threw 3-0 on penalties after what I thought was a pretty heroic defensive performance. But one in which they also had the better chances in the game.
1: Yeah, I
0: totally agree. I mean, I think Morocco were exceptional from a defensive standpoint. The organisation was really good for 95% of the game. Um, there were a couple of times when uh, I think Asensio in the first half and Olmo and once maybe one of the subs ran in behind Aguerd and then um, maybe Saïs once he was injured as well. But, you know, you can't Stop every single thing from happening during the course of a game you need your goalkeeper at times or you need a a tiny bit of fortune or a bad striker or something like that and Spain had that as well to be fair to them they had um, mostly okay set up defensively in terms of winning the ball back but again when someone was running in behind you needed that little bit of luck and the the luck that Spain had in that regard I would say is that I think pretty much every chance fell to uh, Chadira, Wally Chadira, who can run with the ball, no problem. But the problem is uh, at the end of the run, what to do? And that's where he sort of slipped a little bit, let's say. Um, I think Morocco were the better team overall. They had Mm. such a good game plan. I think Akhraf Hakimi put in maybe the best solo all-round display of the World Cup. He was brilliant going forward. He was brilliant defensively. He didn't let uh almost away from him once he didn't let Murata in the channel he didn't he was just so so good i thought um and then all the midfield work so hard anyway we we've, we've discussed Amrabat in detail i thought again defensively very very good yesterday uh, the amount of cover obviously that he gives both full backs and then protecting front of the center backs as well is very impressive they worked very very hard as a unit they needed Bono to come up uh, a couple of times really big for them and he did and i have to say I think they deserve to go through overall anyway, to be honest, like you say it's not that much of a shock in terms of performances and results at the World Cup. The shock comes because it's a European nation against an African nation going through to the quarterfinals It's the shock because Spain were world champions just over a decade ago that's the the shock aspect of it, but it's not relative to what's been going on this year this tournament um Spain didn't win a game after their first one, and as I said to a few people yesterday like a little bit similar to England against Iran. Like we didn't expect that performance from Iran. They were maybe undercooked, maybe just weren't ready mentally, whatever the story was, Iran were a lot worse than they should have been. And the first game, Costa Rica, the same. They were a lot worse than they should have been. Like that may still be the single worst performance of the tournament, even with how bad Denmark and Belgium were. Costa Rica were awful, like Mm. really, really bad. But then the next two games, you saw their level. They can't compete. They're defensively resolute. They should have given Spain a much, much tougher time. And if they had have been ready for that first game, would Spain have even gone through? Because they didn't win another game afterwards.
2: That's the big question. I mean, S- Spain, to me, have been very, very disappointing in this tournament. Now, I didn't think they were anything close to potential winners because we've talked a bit of pre-tournament. There's no recognised, reliable goal scorer in the team. And there's no reliable right-footed centre-back available to Luis Enrique. The best right-footed centre-back that Spain currently have is Diego Llorente, who didn't make the squad. Rodri has played there, and to his credit, he's done okay. But he's in the team more for what he can offer on the ball than defensively. He doesn't have great pace, but he is really good positionally. We know as a holding midfielder, he's one of, if not the best in the world right now. But, you know, you've got iffy fullbacks, an iffy goalkeeper, a, a strange situation at centre back, a strange situation up front. Bus gets playing holding midfield when really and truly he's at least two years past the point where he should be in the, the Spanish starting 11. They didn't strike me as a team that could win this competition. They had that great start, and we immediately asked the question, have they just scored all their goals for the tournament? And they hadn't scored them all, but they'd scored the vast majority of them. So I'm I'm not sad to see Spain go out, I have to say, but I'm so impressed by the organisation and the togetherness of this Moroccan team. The goalkeeper is... I wouldn't want him in my team. But he does have some good strengths. Like, he's a very good shot stopper. But Christ, he'd give you palpitations with some of the messing with his feet. We know Hakimi is outstanding. He's one of the very best right backs in the world. Mazraoui is one of the best right backs in the world as well. But he plays left back. And this defense, I think, is just hilarious. Because you've got, you've got two right backs as the full backs. And two left-footed, left-side centre-backs as the centre-backs.
0: One of which was a midfielder.
2: Yes, exactly. And and got converted initially to play in a back three, but has developed really well and is absolutely at home in a back two. Mm. I thought the entire back four were brilliant defensively. Um, I thought Agard was just outstanding. Sice, he just seems to be getting better by the game in this competition. Amrabat is the best holding midfielder thus far in this competition the two lads, the flying Kim, Amala and uh, Onahi they're, the, the amount of work those two lads get through goes unnoticed because Amrabat draws focus, yeah. but those two lads just put in shift after shift after shift, and then the front three they're all sort of mercurial players, like Zayic, we know the talent, we saw it at Ajax but then we've seen what he's done at Chelsea and we know there's a reputation of maybe been a little bit lazy. But yesterday he's he's run literally 120 minutes nonstop and then stepped up and taken other than Hakimi's the best penalty of the lot. And Naziri's a good player. But again, he's a streaky forward who goes through long patches of looking disinterested. And Sophie and Buffal. 1v1 is one of the most talented dribblers in the world, but again, can just have months and months of being absolutely useless because he's not focused or locked in on the project at hand. But this team comes together, and whatever it is that this manager is saying to them, he has them all locked in, 100% focused, 100% together. And to me, they're... I I. I don't think they're going to win the competition, but I think they're the story of the World Cup so far because they weren't even expected to get out of the group stage, and here they are heading into a quarter final in which assuming fitness, they had a couple of players go off with injuries yesterday, assuming fitness, they'll fancy their chances in the next round, Carol,
0: yeah, and why wouldn't they like you know that they are now doing stuff that no people from their country have ever done in the history of the world before like this is the first time they've ever reached the quarterfinals of the world cup it's very very difficult to underplay or understate just how massive that is um for for a nation which doesn't even really even within africa have the greatest of records let's be perfectly honest i think it's just one uh, afcon that they've won as well um so it's not like this is like one of the historic superpowers of african football they've often been good, but they've never been amazing, I wouldn't say. Certainly not in my lifetime anyway. Um so for for them to just and again I I I have referenced this a few times, but I think it's so worth picking up on. This is like a new manager, like a couple of months before the World mm. took over. This is a really, really improbable set, uh, set of circumstances, but like a almost a perfect case study of probably what is team building um you know, creating a culture within the group, all that kind of thing. I mean, a couple of the players that you mentioned there, like um, Sofian Bufal, like I, I jokingly said it last night in the moment when he did like three step overs without touching the ball and sent Llorente off for some churros halfway through the first half and then ran the other direction completely, leaving him behind. Like that was a very funny moment. I said he's basically like any of those Chilean players uh, from from back in the day who didn't really do anything at club level, particularly noteworthy. But when it came to the international team, when it came to pulling on that shirt, they were suddenly like Ballon d'Or quality. And he's he's like in that category at this World Cup kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple of others. The midfielders that you mentioned as well. I mean, Selim Amala went off after like 80 minutes or so, ha- having completed eight passes from central midfield. That sounds really bad, but it doesn't begin to tell the story of what he did during that game. He was just very, very, very good. And I think who has been basically the fourth midfielder as well. I think he's been really good yeah. one as well. Agreed. Um, and Big so, yeah. Bottle to take the first penalty as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you can't fault anybody who steps up for for a penalty shootout in the World Cup. And I think all of them were really, really good, to be fair, um, in terms of their performances they're playing when they came on. Even like, you know, we joke about J- Jadier running through and having like two or three chances to score. But He gave them the outlet. He didn't score at the end of it. And some of the touches before he took the shot were pretty poor, but he gave them the outlet. Mm. He made the run with the ball. He dragged the team upfield for two, three minutes at a time to relieve the pressure. Everyone just played a really, really big part. And I'm not going to lie, as extra time was going on and subs were getting made, I felt the gap between the two teams was getting bigger because Spain were able to bring on players of a similar level. Let's say Ansu Fati coming on for Danny Ulmour, Maybe if both were in peak fitness and form, you'd actually prefer Ansufati. Jordi Alba going off and Alejandro Valde coming on. Alba's obviously the better and longer term player, but Valde with much more blistering pace, Valde with a really good cross on him, that sort of thing. Whereas, probably Morocco, it's fair to say, brought on some players who would not be in their start in 11 anyway, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, when I come um, off Benoun, I think, came on. Um, Atatala has been all right on the wing, but at left back, he doesn't have the pace to keep up with wide forwards in, in that sort of area. Like, So you could see the gap was widening, and that kind of makes it even more impressive that they got through even more pressure. And like I say, yeah, they got lucky once or twice. The Sarabia effort off the post late, late on. Yeah. An absolute heartbreaker, but perfect from a Sarabia point of view and a Spain point of view. A very Sarabia moment. A very, very, very Sarabia moment. Topped only in the sarabia of moments by the fact that he came on for a pen, which he missed
2: yeah yeah, came on for pen took the first one and hit the post um you mentioned their record in tournaments and just to give people an idea if you haven't looked to see how this Moroccan, how morocco in general have done at major tournaments so in terms of world cups in 1970 they went out in the group stage in 86 they made the round of 16 in 94 and 98 they made the group stage in 18 they made the group stage This is the first time they've reached the quarterfinals. But you'll notice I skipped many, many years there. 74, 78, 82, 90, and everything from 2002 to 2014, because they didn't qualify. At the AFCON, they have won it once. That was in 1976. The only person involved in their team who was alive then is the manager who was born in 1975. They finished third once and fourth twice the last time they finished fourth was 1988 they finished as runners up in 2004 so you're looking at a team that have only made the semi-finals of the afcon five times or a nation rather not not obviously this group of players but even in the last bunch they've been so disappointing 06 and 08 group stage 2010 didn't qualify 12 and 13 group stage 15 disqualified. They were originally meant to be the hosts. 2017 quarterfinals, 2019 round of 16, 2021 quarterfinals. They've been a huge disappointment. And this group of players was around for the last two, for the vast majority of them. There's one or two who weren't, but the vast majority were around for the last two. And they finished fifth and ninth, or whatever way, you joined fifth and joint ninth. Like They've been a major disappointment on the biggest stage until now. And this is the greatest achievement by a Moroccan group of players since 1976. Like, that's the type of thing you have to remember in this World Cup is that, yeah, it's disappointing for Spain to go out because Spain have won a World Cup. If Morocco had gone out yesterday... Their World Cup would still have been a triumph because they got out of the group stage. Now, this is an outright success. And no matter what happens against Portugal, and we'll talk about them now, it, Morocco have done their entire nation proud and will be heroes when they return home.
0: And probably also worth pointing out that right before the tournament started, they lost maybe their best technical player, certainly their most effective and really important forward. I mean Harrit because he got a horrible, horrible injury. Yeah. That's a I that's I hadn't even thought of that. That's a
2: really, really good shout. I mean is really important. Even if he's just coming off the bench, what he can offer them. Because you mentioned the the notable drop off in the level of some of the players coming on compared to some of the players that went off. Like when Buffal was going off, if Harrod had been coming on You wouldn't have noticed as much of a drop there. Um, Yeah, like they've just done brilliantly. So they will take on Portugal next. Portugal, the big news, Cristiano Ronaldo dropped from the team, replaced by Goncalo Ramos, and Ramos decided to show the world that not only does he look like John McGinn, but he's also very, very good. He makes it 1-0. On 17 minutes, an absolute rocket of a left foot that maybe, maybe Jan Sommer should have saved, given the angle and the fact that it was near post. Pepe, 39 years of age, 40 in February, makes it two from a Bruno Fernandes corner. Powerful header on 33. Ramos again on 51. Nice finish near post. Guerrero makes it four on 55 and it's over at that point. But Akanji gets the Swiss a consolation goal. And it was almost like Portugal took that personally because nine minutes later, Ramos makes it 5-1 with a hat-trick goal. Another really nice little dinked finish. This one from a uh, Joao Felix through ball. And then Raphael Liao wraps it all up on 92 minutes. Now, I will say very Questionable goalkeeping on that one. I think Jan Sommer had just given up at that point. Um, Cristiano dropped and when he came on, he made absolutely no impact other than assaulting a member of the general public with one of his free kicks.
0: I think that's very, very unfair. I think he raced through to finish with a plum while he was stood eight yards offside.
2: (laughs) He's counting that one. He's adding that to his list of
0: World Cup goals and telling people now that he did score. Listen, I think it's wildly notable that this is the most cohesive, fluid, free-flowing, attack-minded performance that Portugal have had in, honestly, as long as I can remember. I, I, I couldn't even tell you the last time I saw Portugal play this way. It was probably when Ronaldo was not ancient and he was helping them play this way, which is a long time ago now. They were sensational. This was like probably the best sustained spell of football in the World Cup by like a good distance. They were ruthless. They were clinical. They were all the things that you need, but they, they were brilliant in the build-up. That's really the important thing here. I mean, how many times have we seen Rafa Guerrero being able to actually attack from left-back in this Portugal team over the last couple of years? Like sustained, constant overlapping, hmm. getting into the box, getting into scoring positions, he doesn't he hardly ever scores for portugal i don't even know what his goal record is but i can't even remember the last time i saw him score it must have been ages um he, he was he was brilliant he was he was basically the wing back that he's been at dortmund for a long time now and that is because they have more mobility in the team and more people able to cover i think a couple of i mean you mentioned obviously um ronaldo they didn't have Cancelo in, this, in the side either another,
2: another great decision because that's part of what freed Guerrero down the left is that Delow is a little bit more reserved yeah. and is, is comfortable to duck in next to the centre-backs and give a little bit of a platform and let his, his wingmate go forward, whereas Canseo thinks he's a winger.
0: And I'm going to say the other one, I think even though he's not had a bad performance for the team, it's a lot better. Ruben Neves wasn't starting, uh, William Carvalho being a real sitter and someone who has much more agility in terms of you know his turn and circle, his, his ability to get up to top speed really quickly, much more aggressive in the challenge. I think, again, that is something that has let Otavio have a mm. good game, Silva get on the ball in different areas. And Ramos was obviously you know man of the match, a hat-trick and assist, first start. I think he's now got a goal per game in the international um, arena as a result. And yeah. he was great. He was obviously man of the match, let's say. But Jaar Felix, my God, that was a sensational performance. This is this is what we want to see from jean Felix on a weekly basis. Not once every three years, not once every three months. This was what you need to be doing. Let him roam. Let him take people on. Give him runners off him. Give him options to pass the ball and find ridiculous passes from deep and split the defence and take people on and run 30 yards in possession and get himself into whatever positions he sees on the pitch is dangerous because this boy is phenomenal and hasn't been allowed to be.
2: Yeah, well he's been put in shackles by Diego Simeone for the last few years. Yeah, but by Santos as well. Oh, but Santos is a very negative manager as well. Like last night was the bravest thing he has ever done in his managerial career in dropping Cristiano Ronaldo and putting a a bit of faith in you know the actual players that can win this World Cup. And I'm going to take a bit of a, a victory lap here Because, by God, did I look like a fool when I said Serbia could get to the final. But I told you, pre-tournament, I think without him, this group could win this tournament. I said, name-checked Ramos. I said, that boy as a nine will allow everybody else to come into the game and play better. And I thought that's exactly what we saw yesterday. Like you said, Joe Felix was unbelievable. Unbelievable. By having a real focal point and an unselfish worker up front, Zhao Felix is able to expand everything that the team is capable of. I thought Bruno looked better yesterday. I thought Bernardo looked better yesterday. You've already mentioned Guerrero. William Carvalho, and I will die on this hill, William Carvalho is the most underrated player of the last decade because of the career he's had. Because he stayed at Sporting too long and then he went to Betis. He was the best player in the Portugal team that won the Euros in 2016. He was the key to all of it. Sitting in that midfield and allowing everybody else to move around him. And he just protected those centre-backs. And when he had the ball, he kept it nice and simple, but he kept them taking over. He is... A very, very good holding midfielder that a top club should have bought eight years ago and he would have had a much bigger profile. But he's a very, very good player. And I agree, I think they're better with him there rather than Ruben Neves. Even though Neves is a better player at this point, and obviously his passing is outstanding, from a defensive point of view, Carvalho is significantly better. You're right, it was the best Portuguese performance I've seen in a long, long time. And even when they started to change things, in the flow of the game, Cristiano didn't disrupt it too much. Like, they were still able to play on the front foot. They were still able to have the interchange of playing. if he has even one iota of self-awareness, he's sitting down with the manager tomorrow or today and saying, this is my role moving on. Mm. I'll come off the bench because if you're chasing a goal, you can throw me on. And if we're winning, put me on and I'll empty the tank for 15 minutes and I'll chase things and I'll run the channels and I'll be an actual center forward and I'll make it about the team and not about me. I, mean, I don't expect he'll do
0: that though. Well, no, but maybe, maybe Santos doesn't give him the opportunity anyway, and that that is now going to be his role for the rest of the World Cup at the very least. And then, you know, what happens afterwards might not even be down to Santos. Let's be let's be honest. Um, I think that. I think that it's important for Portugal to realise that, like, as good as they were last night, obviously they're not. It's not going to be like that every single game for them. They can't just expect that they'll turn it on to that level and be that clinical every single game. So it is still, regardless of who starts up front, important for them to have killers on the bench, basically. And let's be honest, you still probably can't get a better one than Ronaldo for for someone who can come on and be an aerial threat, someone who can finish on the run, someone who can take a penalty, someone who can basically have two chances and probably put one away if they are in the box, always around... That sort of dangerous sort of penalty area, and you're creating a few chances of varying different kinds, even if it's not as free flowing. So he really, really, really should just bench him again for the for the quarterfinals. Mm. Let you, know, you can't take him out after the performance anyway, probably, but it's it's quite important if Portugal actually wants to have a, a shot at winning this. You know, Morocco. You say Morocco won't be frightened of them. Portugal won't be of Morocco either. I think that's no. obvious to say. So. It's a really, really big chance for them to reach the semis. Um I I really hope that as we progress through the tournament and and all teams, not just Portugal here, but all teams don't get more cautious and more reserved and more restrained in their lineups and their tactics and everything, because every game that there's more and more at stake, obviously, there's there's more to lose. So it is a very big balance and act, obviously, between Do you still go for it and try to win it or do you not try to lose it, basically? Which is what knockout tournament does to a lot of people. That's why, you know, take it from a Liverpool perspective, we end up sometimes with Bolo Zendon comes from nowhere to be a fixed part of the team in the Champions League run towards the end. Or James Milner does or whatever the the, the player is. There's always like somebody comes in who is seen as a, a safer pair of hands, but doesn't necessarily have you play the exact same way as such. So hopefully that doesn't happen here with Portugal or at least not too early. I don't think that they would need to against Morocco, to be honest. I think you could afford to go all out. I've also just had a quick look at Rafa Guerrero because it was bugging me. I couldn't remember you know, what his goal-scoring record was like for Portugal at all. Uh, he's actually scored once for Portugal since 2016 before last night, which I think says a lot. Um, he scored a Nations League game or something. He scored at the Euros last summer, one goal. Oh, he did. He did score the years. That was his first one. one since 2016. Uh, since 2016 at club level, his goals have been 7-2, 6-8, 6-5, 3. Um, mm. Three for this half season, obviously. So he's basically a six or seven a season man, which to international should probably translate to one or two a year. So none across five years, one across six years, just you know, reinforces and highlights the fact of how Reserved and defensive-minded that team has been on that side of the pitch, or from fullback overall. Really, it's it's a disappointing trend which was very very emphatically brought to an end last night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he hit that ball and it stayed hit.
2: So Portugal through, and they are the final team making up the quarterfinals. So now the quarterfinals are set. Croatia versus Brazil is the first the winner of which will play the winner of the Netherlands. No, I have that wrong, don't I? Yeah, the winner of which will play the winner of the Netherlands versus Argentina. And then Morocco versus Portugal, the winner of which plays the winner of England versus France. So these are all quite interesting. I think the only one where maybe there's a clear favourite is Croatia-Brazil. I think the netherlands Argentina is very evenly matched. I think France are favourites against England, but not by a huge amount. And while Portugal will be favoured to beat Morocco, if Morocco play like they did yesterday, they can beat this Portuguese team.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think... um... Maybe not a danger as such, but a frustration for Portugal might be if they're not allowed to play as expansively and as rapidly as they did yesterday. I mean, Switzerland were, we haven't even touched on them, but let's be honest, they were open from minute one and they never tightened up. No. Um, You know, we we referenced Jean-Félix, for example, and the spaces that he was able to pick the ball up in. Not once were those spaces removed from the game. Um, I, I can't see that Morocco will be anywhere as naive. If anything, they will have seen this Portugal performance and reinforced to themselves the fact that as good as we were against Spain, we're now going to have to step it up again against Portugal and they'll be more resolute and more compact and even more organised. I think a lot of the outcome of that game is, as you alluded to, going to depend on fitness. Uh, if there were a few people with knocks, we saw, uh, was it Agar went down with his hamstring or was that Saïs? I can't remember now.
2: Saïs went down with the hamstring. Saiz Saiz Aguad seemed and to
0: have some sort of muscle thing as well though. Yeah, and he was struggling before the tournament as well. So, Um, We'll we'll see how they are in terms of patching the team together. It's not a huge gap between games, obviously, for them. Um, But if Morocco can be at full strength, they will frustrate Portugal and they will really sit in and be as aggressive off the ball as they possibly can. And that could, after Portugal have played so well, frustrate a few of their players. You know, that might... Be at least an irritation to get over in the course of the game so it's not cut and dried by any means I agree with you that Brazil are the comfortable favorite against Croatia but Croatia is probably one of the other teams we haven't really spoken about enough because we kept expecting them to not quite do things that some of the talent suggest they're capable of because the team of the whole doesn't really you know, shine or in any particular mm. game does it? so they're again a bit of a, a tricky team to look at but They also have a a very odd habit of just getting through knockout games um, without necessarily having to outright win them as such in the 90 minutes. And they find a way. So Brazil, again, are going to have to be decent, probably a little bit better in midfield than they have done in some of the parts of some of the matches. So it's not an easy one. Let's put it that way. I think that the quarterfinal matchup in this particular World Cup is the eight best sides that I've seen. Uh, I don't think that there's been any go out other than Japan, who I think can really feel hard done by it not being in the in the last eight. Let's put it that way.
2: And once again, it's just a slap in the face to all our American listeners. I apologize. I apologize to all of you. He just doesn't care. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. I think Japan are the one that can really feel like they they should be advancing, but they had their they had their opportunity and they missed, and that's. That's what it comes down to. We'll leave it there for today. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a rundown of the tournament so far. We're going to take a very quick run back through the tournament. Anything we missed, anything Carol wants to highlight that he noticed during the tournament. And we'll take a little bit of a Liverpool view. Any players that stood out to us as someone the Reds could potentially add. So thank you for listening. And we will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.